Emma's Revolution, and I'm Marcy Winograd, coordinator of Code Pink Congress, a campaign to mobilize congressional support for a new progressive foreign policy. Thank you for tuning in to Code Pink Radio, broadcast on WBAI Radio 99.5 FM in New York City and WPFW 89.3 FM in Washington, D.C., also on Spotify and iTunes. Code Pink is a women's-led anti-war organization working to reduce the military budget, reject U.S. global domination, abolish nuclear weapons, and stand in solidarity with climate protectors throughout the world. Join our campaigns at CodePink.org. Today on Code Pink Radio, we'll talk to those on the front lines fighting for immigration justice to stop the deportations of Haitians from the United States. During the second half of our show, we'll also learn about Code Pink's delegation to the next U.N. climate conference. Stop the warring. Stop the warming. War is not green. That's our message. Over the past few months, U.S. Border Patrol agents arrested and deported nearly 30,000 migrants, the majority Haitian refugees, many at an encampment in Del Rio, Texas. You may have seen the images, horrible images of Border Patrol agents on horseback charging at Haitians with reins reminiscent of whips used during slavery. The Biden administration ordered a halt to Border Patrol on horseback. But the deportations continue as Haitians flee Haiti's political collapse, street violence, earthquakes, and flooding, droughts, hurricanes, all related to the climate crisis. Last spring, the White House granted Temporary Protected Status, or TPS, to 12,000 Haitians in the United States, but since then has basically followed in Trump's footsteps, invoking an obscure public health provision, Title 42, to deny Haitians at the border the right to seek asylum during a global pandemic. Daniel Foote, U.S. Ambassador to Haiti, resigned, protesting, in his words, inhumane mass deportations. Today on Code Pink Radio, we'll talk to recent guests on Code Pink Congress, Patrice Lawrence, Executive Director of Undocu Black, and Paul Christian Namphy, lead organizer with the Family Action Network movement, both demanding an end to the Biden administration's deportations and detentions of thousands of Haitian refugees denied the legal right to apply for political asylum in the United States. First, Patrice Lawrence. Many of us saw the very gruesome images of abuse of ICE and CBP officers on horseback um, that looked like, you know, 200 years ago. Um, And many of us were really outraged about that, and rightly so. And so what the Biden administration did was to remove people, and they did three things with them. One, they have some folks that they actually uh, did, made stay in Mexico and would not allow them to cross at all. Um, Haitian folks as well as other black migrants. Two, 
They put several black migrants, um, thousands at this rate, about 5,000 is our last number, in detention. Three, they deported uh, close to about 8,000 Haitian migrants back to Haiti. So that's what they did, and that's why we're not seeing those images anymore. Now, there's a smaller number of individuals who have been paroled into the country, and um, as of last week, Haitian uh, parole is now back, but it's selective, and it's at the discretion of DHS. So in summary, what we have seen with the approach of Biden-Harris administration to black migrants, to Haitians who are seeking asylum, who are seeking protection, is not much different from what we saw under Trump. And in some ways, we almost think it's perhaps worse because he campaigned on being better, on being the better person, on delivering more. And what we have seen is the opposite of that. Wow. Tell us about your organization and what you're doing. Yeah, so we are doing a few things. So on the policy and advocacy side, we, uh, together with several other organizations, filed a complaint, filed a complaint, a civil rights, civil liberty complaint, uh, putting together all of the affidavits that we have of individuals who had said that they were abused while they were there by CBP officers. Um, everything from not being allowed medical access to actually being verbally abused, to being physically abused. And so we have filed that complaint. We've also filed a FOIA, a Freedom of Information Act request, for more information to corroborate the statements that we already have. Um, and we are also pushing to repeal Title 42. Title 42 is a health policy that immigration can use if they want to, and that's what DHS is choosing to do, to deport people in mass. And so we want it to be repealed. Um, health experts, now two DHS high-level ranking officials have resigned. And part of why they have resigned, the second one resigned yesterday, Ambassador Foote um, resigned last week, and they mentioned Title 42. They are saying that it is evil and that there are more humane ways to provide protection for individuals, and they're resigning until this administration does anything better. So I know, I, mean, I know that a lot of our uh, participants are well aware of this issue and have been following it, but still I think it'd be helpful to explain why we see this stream of Haitian refugees, not only here, but at the border with Mexico and other Latin, and other Latin American countries. Yeah, um, so there's two big things, right? There's one about like the US accountability in this, right? So when we think about the early 1900s, like the US has occupied Haiti for over 30 years um, and they have continued to meddle in their business and in their affairs. So there's that part. And then we have the most recent events this year, which was that the president was assassinated over the summer and uh, they had a major earthquake almost at eight on the Richter scale um, just uh, less than 60 days ago. So those two events have made it more difficult for Haitians to stay in Haiti and uh, have also raised like a racist flag for other Haitians who were in other countries since the earthquake in 2010. And it made them not safe for them to remain there anymore, including Haitians who were in Chile. And so they started to make their way up. 
I think all of that combined with misinformation meant that people felt that the best place for them to be was with loved ones that they already had in the United States and that they have a right to go to. Thank you, Patrice. We're gonna to turn to our next guest and then we're gonna come back and do a Q&A with both of you. So thank you for joining us and stay with us. Medea? Uh, thank you, Patrice, and thanks for the wonderful work that you and your organization do. Uh, and now we have the pleasure to hear from Paul Namfi, who is a personal friend. I'm so delighted that you are here with us, Paul. And uh, he works with, as a lead organizer with a group called FAM, the Family Action Network Movement. Uh, the ED is a very well-known woman in the Miami area and, of course, nationally as well, Marlene Bastien. And uh, Paul does and, and FAM do terrific work. Uh, they spearheaded the campaign for temporary protective status um, to get that for the Haitian people as well as uh, uh, for others. Um, he works a lot on the plight of uh, Haitians who are here in the U.S. undocumented and has been very active recently in this most recent situation. And I think, Paul, you recently returned from the border in Texas. So thank you very much for being with us. And uh, please let us know what you saw and what you think is happening and needs to be done. Thank you so much. Uh, thank you, Medea. Thank you to Code Pink and UndocuBlack. Um, really, my, my comments are, um, are dedicated to the struggle of the people in Haiti, as well as um, you know, the, the forces of, of change that we saw everywhere from Haiti on a constant basis to, of course, the many, many, many U.S. cities last, last Saturday, you know, in terms of the women's struggle. So um, very quickly, uh, we saw many, many, many uh, things that really shocked us. And it was uh, a very, very, very broad based group. Uh, the Family Action Network uh, movement uh, traveled to Texas. Uh, along with many, many different organizations, SBCC, Alianza San Diego, Haitian Bridge Alliance, uh, many pastors of faith in action. Uh, we were also joined by Haitian American community leaders, uh, such as Father Asian Ajamari of Notre Dame d'Haïti, and uh, elected officials, uh, local Haitian elected officials, um, such as Doti Joseph from the Florida State House. And it was really, really, really shocking, first of all, um, that we were um, basically uh led into a, a false promise uh that we had um uh, basically negotiated with, with the authorities to to be present with our sisters and brothers in del rio um you know under the bridge uh that we knew there was you know at one point between 12 and 15,000 uh, people there we had we were working with the authorities to get access to them to see what their needs were you know what was their basic situation uh we had all seen those images uh circulating you know, around the internet, around social media, of, of Haitian uh, refugees being terribly mistreated uh, by uh, U.S. border guards on, on, on horseback, you know, with, you know, whip-like objects in their hands. And our mandate was to be with our sisters and brothers. And we went through uh, intricate arrangements to arrive there on Friday, September 24th. And, you know, traveling from, from Florida and many other places, we had actually traveled from Washington, D.C., where we were at the immigrant rights uh, demonstration on the, uh, a few days before, on the 21st. And several hours uh, after leaving San Antonio, uh, just a few hours before arriving at Del Rio, we were basically told we don't need to go there anymore because 
no one would be under the bridge. And again, this was uh, a, a real shock. This shows to, to some degree the lack of the lack of sensitivity um, in terms of uh, the, the coordination of, of these types of, of, of interventions on our part. So uh, it's true, we, we arrived at Del Rio, we went to a center uh, where many of the people who had been paroled in were allowed, um, you know, were, were there and were being relocated to uh, via San Antonio and other locations to eventually uh, uh, join family members. We went to the, to the, under the bridge and all that we found was uh, border guards who were giving us uh, basically their take on the situation. And uh, clearly many of the statements that they were giving us, I'm not gonna say they were outright false, but th there were certain basic details that were lacking that we were not being able to, to, to uh, obtain in terms of basic information about where our brothers and sisters were, you know, that they had been sent to a series of processing centers all around the border all along the border, uh, everywhere from, from Laredo to San Antonio to Rio Grande Valley, uh, to El Paso, to other states such as Nogales, Arizona, uh, for a fate that we really did not have much uh, visibility or uh, given that this was not a transparent process. So we did have a press conference on the evening of the 24th. Uh, we were, uh, you know, many of the different uh, members that I just mentioned from the delegation spoke out. Also, you know, Tessa Petit of, of uh, Florida Immigrant Coalition, Flick, um, Gypsy Metelus of, of Santla, you know, from Miami. So uh, basically uh, showing our support uh, for, uh, you know, the Haitian people who had really gone through everything, going all the way from Haiti years earlier, arriving in South America, many leaving because Haiti simply, they, they were either facing outright persecution or felt that they could not have a dignified life. And then uh, when situation became very difficult in South America, they engaged on that 10 country trek, which is absolutely treacherous. People dying, uh, you know, in, in, the, in the wasteland between the Colombia and Panama, there's a stretch there, which is not guarded by either, uh, by either country's uh, defense forces. And people are basically, uh, uh, they're basically uh, exposed to all types of rape, all types of mistreatment, uh, robbery, theft, and so upon arriving at the border of Mexico and Texas and simply asking for a possibility to receive a due process, to receive uh, basically a fair hearing for asylum and protection. And uh, as Patrice mentioned uh, just a little while ago, we're in the thousands and thousands and thousands. Uh, based on the information that we have, it is over 7,000 and growing every day. We're seeing four, five, six, seven flights uh, and, you know, just be, before ending this response, it's important just to mention the case of Title 42, that a federal judge struck it down in terms of the application of Title 42 uh, being uh, applied against families. And unfortunately, this administration, which uh, yet last year campaigned in Little Haiti and other locations based on racial equity and immigration, uh, basically is, is continuing the policy of its, its, its very, very anti-Haitian predecessors. So, uh, this is a very serious situation. We do have a series of demands for Congress, for the Biden administration in terms of how we can move forward. But part of our stay there was also accompanying those who had been paroled in. Many of them have joined uh, us here in South Florida as well as other parts of the country. We're very, very disturbed by uh, Governor DeSantis's recent uh, moves, uh, which are completely, completely, completely discriminating against immigrants, including people who have been, who have been uh, paroled into the country by this administration. 
Patrice Lawrence and Paul Naffey. Terrific to have you with us to give us these on the ground reports and to share your demands. Medea, did you have a question that you wanted to start off with? I had a question for Paul, if you could just uh, outline what it is that uh, DeSantis maybe explain for those who don't know who he is uh, and what is he doing that is problematic and then uh, what are you calling on the administration and Congress to do? Thank you so much, Medea. Well, I mean, this came, again, I can't say it's blindsided us knowing this govern, governor and, and how he <laughs> how he acts, but uh, basically uh, last week, uh, during the last week of September 2021, the state of Florida issued an executive order and filed a lawsuit against USCIS, to which the Florida Democratic Party issued a swift counterstatement regarding the situation of recently arrived Haitian immigrants traveling from the Texas-Mexico border to Florida. Uh, so on September 28, 2021, Governor DeSantis was joined by Attorney General Ashley Moody of Florida to announce three significant actions Florida is taking to address what they call the Biden border crisis. And this is engaged in political, very, very hard right uh, wing terms. First, Governor DeSantis issued an executive order 21-223 to prohibit all Florida agencies under the purview of the governor from facilitating what they call illegal immigration into Florida, despite the fact, again, these are folks who have been paroled in by the U.S. federal administration, that they basically are uh, prohibiting Florida agencies from any sort of assistance unless otherwise required by federal or state law and require the collection of information from state officials on the scope and cost of what they call illegal immigration in Florida. Uh, this executive order prohibits state agencies under the governor's purview from providing support for the resettlement of who they call illegal aliens to Florida, directing the Department of Children and Families to engage in a witch hunt against facilities attempting to help house unaccompanied minors, threatening their license renewal, and requesting Florida Department of Law Enforcement to crack down on Florida companies hiring the recent, recently arrived immigrants using E-Verify requirements. So and they're also using data gathering capacity to attempt to make the case that recent refugees from Haiti will be a drain on the Florida economy, pitting Florida's inhabitants' fear uh, of an economic downslide against the recent arrivals. So we see terrible, terrible amounts of scapegoating of the recently arrived immigrants in Florida who transited via the Texas-Mexico border, basically trying to criminalize them, lumping them in with catch-all language, referring to people guilty of drug trafficking, of illegal aliens who are pending criminal prosecution or have been convicted of crimes. These refugees in question are not criminals. They're simply immigrants who have been paroled into the United States by federal authorities. So finally, Governor DeSantis announced the appointment of Larry Keefe, former U.S. Attorney for Northern District of Florida, as a public safety czar to ensure the actions directed by executive order are carried out. So they're basically gauging this, that somehow immigrants are a danger to public safety. I mean, this is, this is basically ringing of outright fascism. You know, I mean, there's really no other word for it. And um, they also announced the governor and the attorney general of Florida uh, has filed suit against the Biden administration challenging its catch and release policy. So there was some pushback on this from the Florida Democratic Party. They admitted, immediately published a response claiming that the attacks by DeSantis, which are demonizing immigrants, are to deflect scrutiny over his catastrophic management of COVID in Florida and throwing red meat at the GOP's xenophobic base, attacking and maligning immigrants in a craven attempt to evade the blame he so richly deserves for allowing his state to be ravaged by the pandemic. So we're in a very, very, very tense situation. In terms of our advocacy, what we want from the Biden-Harris administration, what we want from Congress, what we want from local elected officials throughout the country is basically, first of all, we are fighting Title 42 tooth and nail. It is absolutely uh, unconscionable that 
the, the, the best minds, including people inside the CDC, are, are not are not at all convinced of the scientific merits of Title 42. It's had disastrous consequences. Uh, many times sending people back to their countries of origin is exacerbating the pandemic worldwide rather than attenuating it. Uh, and there are definitely other measures to, to, to deal with that. So title, the rescinding of Title 42, particularly in its application against families, you know, husbands, wives, children, uh, this is simply, simply unconscionable. The second demand that we have is that there be a thorough investigation uh, into the uh, actions that happened in the border in the early days uh, after the uh, the crisis erupted under the bridge in Del Rio, that there has to be accountability for what happened. Uh, we heard that many of our Haitian sisters and brothers who really were victims of this of this violence, we can't find them, maybe they've been deported. I mean, again, there's a lack of due process here and due process is exactly what we need. And as I mentioned earlier, in terms of people you know, going that long trek, leaving Haiti, many of them who have been politically persecuted um, arriving in South America, being squeezed forward to the north where they had hopes of, of, of joining relatives. And so they do need to receive due process if they have a credible fear, either for, for, for protection or for asylum. Uh, we're asking also that they review the decision made uh, to not extend the Jan July 29th as the end date for eligibility for permanent uh, continuous presence in the United States for temporary protected status. I mean, the earthquake occurred after that. Uh, you know, uh, Patrice mentioned many of the challenges that they face in country. I mean, the, the assassination of the former president should be mentioned was was one small piece of a larger, uh, basically, uh, series of massacres which occurred in the week or two before that assassination, uh, including feminists, including human rights advocates, such as Marie Antoinette Duclair, including journalists, such as Diego Charles. 60 people were massacred in a one-week period at the end of June. And basically, these are armed gangs controlling the streets in, in, in Port-au-Prince uh, and some other major cities and creating life completely unlivable for the civilian uh, population. So uh, I'm glad that Patrice mentioned the name Daniel Foote because uh, this is someone who he had been sent by the Biden administration as their envoy. He Many people were very, uh, in the civil society, were very skeptical uh, of, you know, uh, what his intentions were. But, you know, he was brokering, uh, he was listening to everyone including the, the Commission for a Haitian Solution to the Crisis, who came out with a very, very important accord at the end of August. And so inside Haiti, this is really our compass that we are following. Um, I mean, we, in terms of people who are advocating for Haiti outside of Haiti, as well as the movement inside Haiti, uh, is the Commission for a Haitian Solution to the Crisis and the uh, accord at the, signed at the end of August by many, many, many different uh, forces, many of whom had been uh, against each other earlier and had found this unity and this unity was being undermined by the unelected uh, current prime minister of Haiti, who has absolutely no legitimacy, who came up with the initiative of his own to try to, to, to break the steam and, and the momentum of the accord. Uh, Mr. Foote had showed that he was interested in listening to the accord, in making policy recommendations. These policy recommendations were completely ignored by the U.S. ambassador, by the Biden administration, by the State Department. Resources that Mr. Foote was asking for to deal with the earthquake, to deal with other emergencies, were being ignored. And finally, his 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 recommendation against you know that that people would be deported back to Haiti under these conditions. This was all ignored, and he said, "I've had enough." And he wrote a brilliant resignation letter. Uh, and so these, it's it's this letter is written almost as if we wrote it. So these are our main requests. But the basic basic tenet, and I'll finish here, is that we cannot dissociate the crisis in Haiti from the, the border crisis. And if the US administration is interested in resolving the border crisis, 
there must they must address the issue of the reason to flee people who are leaving inside Haiti because until the, the United States starts heeding the will of the Haitian people as represented by the commission and other civil society forces, people will continue to show up on the shores, uh, on the border between Mexico and the United States. I'm Marcy Winograd for Code Pink Radio. You're listening to a discussion of demands for immigration justice for Haitian refugees. Our guests, Patrice Lawrence, executive director of Undocu Black, and Paul Christian Namphy, lead organizer with the Family Action Network movement. We'll return to hear the Q&A with Lawrence and Nampi on Code Pink Radio. But first, Haitian singer Emelina Michel. Patrice, I also, a couple of people wrote to me uh, asking questions of you. Uh, what does race have to do with all of this? If uh, they were not black, would they have been treated differently? And also the issue of politics. Um, if, uh, while well, some people in our chat wrote that they're in favor of open borders, and a lot of us are, uh, it doesn't seem to be the general sentiment of the American people. And so given the uh, democratic uh, desire to keep the House and uh, the Senate, um, you know, are there things that Biden can do that would not be politically detrimental to his party? Those are a lot of questions. <laughs> Go for it. Um, okay. I will start on the issue of race. Um, so, uh, as many of you know, like 
anti-blackness is coded in policy, right? But it doesn't look like, normally it doesn't look like you're black, so you're out. But actually at the border, it kind of does look like that. So my example is that some of you may know about like the Remain in Mexico policy, also called MPP, right? And what it said was that it said that people who had crossed the border had to go back to Mexico and stay there and Trump put it in place, right? Um, well, if you look at the numbers, the majority of people who are a part of that program are from Central America and um, are not Haitian. Some of them are black, they're like Afro-Latina, Afro-Latinos. Um, but the reason for that was because Haitians were not allowed to cross in the first place. So that's kind of like how racism plays is like it's a very like real person to person thing of border officials not even allowing people to cross the first time, much less for them to stand in line. So many of the Haitians that are coming now have been stuck in other countries or they've been stuck in Mexico for the past two years or more and they were never allowed to cross in the first place. So Biden politically, um, you know, because he has a, a very big interest in the Northern Triangle countries, right? So um, Guatemala and, 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 and the Central American countries, he is allowing MPP to wind down and allowing people to uh, be allowed back into the United States, but Haiti is not a part of that. And so he can and should do something separate for Haiti, but a part of um, the second piece I'll mention is the politics. So the big politics, right, and the difference between, let's say, Afghanistan and Haiti is accountability. So Biden feels like it's in his best interest uh, to, you know, put a middle finger to Bush and the Republicans and whomever else by allowing for some sort of process to have Afghan, Afghan uh, folks resettle here. And they're still doing a really, really small number in comparison to like the neighboring countries, right? Like it sounds big, but it's not that big. Um, that's because for their political interests, they want to do that, right? For Haiti, the narrative, and Paul can definitely share more there, is um, the narrative is these people caused it upon themselves. Not mentioning that it's the US who continues to work with illegitimate governments. So earlier this year, we saw Haitian folks marching the streets, setting things on fire, saying, listen, this government is illegitimate. We are not being served. It is corrupt. And what did Biden do? He began the deportations. The deportations started in February, and then he slowed them down, and then he restarted them again this fall. But even right now, our main question is, who are you negotiating with? There is no president. And the prime minister is one of the suspects in the murder of the president. So there is no legitimate government. There is no legitimate rule. There's corruption. And the people of Haiti are saying, we are not safe. So the U.S. is dismissing um you know, the, 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 the will of the people. And this is when like you start to talk about sovereignty of the state. And um, basically they are upholding an illegitimate government. Um, so then the third piece about um, if you were to allow people in. So here's a thing that some of you may know if like you follow the trends of how migration patterns go, there are checkpoints all along the way coming up to the United States. The U.S. knows who's coming long before they get here. 
they have numbers, they have names, they have their identification materials. It is not a surprise. And they have before, very often when they do it, it's not fair, but they have before done different systems where people get numbers or like they get a day in advance that they are allowed to cross and have entry. The U.S. is not doing that now for Haitians. They are doing it for some Central Americans, but they're not doing it for Haitians. That is selective, that is deliberate, and they're using Title 42 against Haitians. But could they treat people better? Absolutely. Are they treating other people better? Yes. Will they do it for Haitians? Not without a whole lot of public pressure. So I also put in the chat, like we've made complaints, you know, Code Pink could file their own complaint, right? Um, you could also do your own call-ins. There are different levers that we can push to basically um, antagonize people until they act because there are many, many ways to do that. And um, I also put the petition and the toolkit in the chat. So it's about like really keeping up the pressure on all of these things. And the bottom line, if you don't remember anything else, is that if Biden wanted to do something, he could. There's absolutely nothing that says that he cannot. If he wants to, he can. It is a choice. They don't have to follow Title 42. It is a choice. And it's a choice that they're making every single day to be at war with Black people instead of giving them care and compassion like they're supposed to. Thank you, Patrice. It's so disturbing to hear this. Uh, and ironic, given the fact that it was Black people who got Joe Biden elected. Really, right? Yeah. He went on, you know, Paul is right. He went down on, there, there's footage. I wish I could find, I could find a YouTube video. He went on bended knee, the bended knee in, 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 in little Haiti and, and, and begged for the vote of the Haitian people. Bended knee. And then this is how he repays them? I do want to remind people who may have come in after we began that we are going to conduct our capital calling and emailing party. We will be emailing the White House with these demands and calling members of Congress, urging them to sign on to a resolution denouncing the treatment of Haitians by the Biden administration. Uh, perhaps uh, both of you can take this. You know, since this really erupted in the news with the whippings of people at the Haitians at the border, uh, there was a lot of outrage. Congresswoman Maxine Waters, you know, said this is uh, this is slavery, and Biden uh, supposedly ordered a stop to that. Uh, he also promised, as as far as I'm aware, that he was going to stop these mass deportations. And yet, Time Magazine is reporting that they have not stopped. Has anything improved? <sighs> The deportations I mean, continue. Mass deportations continue. The deportations continue. Um, you know, he gave he he gave TPS, but he hasn't extended the date. Um, I suppose the only good thing I could say that they've done is TPS, and the redesignation of that. But the way that they're treating those same people's cousins and siblings right now, it's almost like you know three different people. Paul, did you want to uh, respond any more to? Yeah, yes. Yeah. So uh, there's another thing that's very, very, very important to say here. The last time that Haiti was granted TPS, they were granted TPS redesignations or designations twice in 2010 and 2011. 
And then there was a 10-year drought before they were finally redesignated this year. Uh, at that time in 2010, it was after the, the 2010 earthquake uh, on January 12th. Uh, and basically that TPS status coincided, that designation coincided with a 12 to 18 month moratorium on deportations. And the, the US White House binomial at the time was Barack Obama and Joe Biden, you know. And you fast forward uh, 11 years, and again, we have a TPS uh, designation that we fought very hard. Uh, that was part of our original request. We finally got it. Uh, up to 150,000 Haitians can benefit from that TPS uh, redesignation. The majority of them, people who came after uh, July 2011, who have not been eligible for, the, you know, to have TPS because of their uh, arrival date. And it would be logical for that to coincide that decision. Um, on August 3rd, 2021, published in the Federal Register, it would be logical for that to coincide with a moratorium on deportations, particularly that the situation in Haiti has not remained the same since that happened. It's actually gotten worse. You know, the earthquake was after that. And so, again, it doesn't make any sense that the, these deportations are occurring because the, the des designation of TPS is based on country conditions. This is a report that comes out of the State Department that basically says because the country is not safe, because the country, you know, cannot absorb people who are being deported, you know, this is why we're giving temporary protective status. So how can you grant temporary protective status on the one hand and be deporting people at record high rates? On the other hand, it's, it's simply incompatible in terms of policy, and we will continue to, to make that case. Absolutely. And I see, Paul, that you put in the notes here that Daniel Foote is going to brief the House Foreign Affairs uh, Committee on Thursday, which is fantastic to know. Uh, and also, I wonder if um, uh, we can, uh, what we can expect happen on that committee um, and who are our champions in Congress? Who are doing the best work on this? So, go ahead, Beatrice. No, I was going to mention a few. So Mandir Jones um, has been really good on this. Um, uh, uh, Aisha Pres uh, um, Presley. Ayanna Presley. Yeah, I said Aisha. That's her 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 staffer. <laughs> Ayanna Presley. Um, uh, Yvette Clark still uh, talking out about this. Ilhan Omar, um, AOC, uh, you know, some of the, the regular few, but others as well. I've continued. Um, uh, I think there was a recent letter of about 50 members we need all democrats to be on this though so as much as you can push people to be on this it would be really really helpful uh, the congressional black caucus came out and uh, uh joyce Beatty, who is now the head of that if folks are in ohio please please pressure joyce Beatty to not let up the gas on this especially if like you're in the cincinnati uh region i believe that's her district um I think it's really important for them to hear a wide cross-section of people watching this. Um, additionally, so in the reconciliation bill right now, GOP rep ideas, ma'am, um, <laughs> not really. Um, I, you know, there was a time. There was a time. Uh, I don't think that time is now. Um, but for the reconciliation bill, right, in the his gap portion of it, that includes border, and that is still $50 billion. I don't know for what. If anybody is monitoring that money, feel free to monitor it. 
for the money that's being given in appropriations. Like last year, um, the fiscal year right now, ICE and CBP alone gets $25 billion. I'm sure they've asked for more money because they always ask for more money. I think it's really important to call for cutbacks on the money that they're getting and to say like, you cannot get more money for what we are seeing as a failing grade. And our, their pushback to us has been, well, give us more money for medical supplies and for medical things for CBP to do. And I don't think we trust that either. I think it needs to be separate agencies. I think it needs to be other organizations. ICE and CBP clearly cannot be trusted. If those are the same people we saw on horseback, we cannot expect them to actually be um, compassionate and kind and caring to individuals. The whole structure needs to change and we need to call for that. So Patrice, just to clarify, you're saying that in the reconciliation bill, there's 50 billion? There's $50 billion for border, for, for, border, for border. It says just border and it's in the HISGAT uh, committee, so Homeland Security. So that's separate from the money that I do want to keep in, which is the judiciary money of $107 billion for legalization. Don't touch that money. Please make sure they keep that money. Keep talking about them keeping that money. And also um, citizenship, that it's citizenship that they're pushing for. That's through the Judiciary Committee. But there is a separate pot of money through Homeland Security Committee. And, you know, that needs to get cut down. Well, there's a lot to keep track of here. So maybe uh, as we go into the action portion, if you have a moment, Patrice, you can post some of this in the chat. So we, we yep. you know, we're on the right page here. Maybe we can give uh, Paul a chance to um, make your final comments. Uh, yeah, so if I could just mention a, a few other names in addition to those that, that Patrice mentioned, she named two of the four uh, representatives on the Haiti caucus. There's also Val Demings from Florida. There's, there's Andy Levin from, from, from Michigan. Uh, Hakeem Jeffries is, is always a, a great place to start. You know, Gregory Meeks uh, in New York, depending on, you know, where your district is. Um, Corey Bush is my favorite. Uh, she uh, came out with, uh, you know, a statement uh, that I put in the chat also. Um, I mean, she's the, the champion of Breonna Taylor and now also the, the champion of, of Haiti. So she's really been very, very, very supportive and just you know she's a freshman uh representative from, from missouri and and doing an absolutely uh, wonderful advocacy so in the senate uh patrick Leahy has always been our, our our champion in terms of uh you know causes related to to haiti and you know we can also we need to be putting pressure on senators uh who pre preside over states that have large haitian populations that are very attuned uh to our uh to you know to our needs so uh, that would be a great advocacy spot. Uh, I, I believe that we are, again, facing uh, a critical moment here where we, we, we have a choice to make. We can either, uh, we not, we in the advocacy committee, but decision makers uh, can either, you know, opt for the status quo, which will absolutely ensure failure, okay, or they can be bold and they, they know what the right thing is. They just have to do it, you know. I mean, uh, President Biden, uh, Vice President Kamala Harris, they know that they're not doing the right thing right now. And, you know, they are, this may be based on some political calculations, but we have to keep the pressure up. We have, you know, so part of our work in the Family Action Network movement is really motivating people to take their civic, to, their civic responsibilities to, to you know, get naturalized, to vote, uh, and, and to participate in this political system, because that's the only way that we will we will push things. I mean, I, I think, 
you know, it's part of what we're seeing from the administration is political cowardice, uh, but it's also a, a calculated uh, really guess about, you know, how this will affect the midterms. And yes, they are scared of that. So we have to put counter pressure. We have to put as much counter pressure as possible to push them in, in our direction. And, and until that happens, we're going to have a lot of, of uphill battles to fight. But in conclusion, the Haitian crisis inside Haiti is inextricably tied to the border crisis. We have to continue hammering that away and we have to absolutely, you know, really twist them as hard as possible to change their Haiti policy because that is the only way that we will get accountability inside Haiti and that Haitians will, at an individual level, will make the calculation to stay and, and, and to be part of building a future Haiti rather than saying this is hopeless and, and they're leaving. So those are the remarks. Again, thank you so much uh, for this wonderful, um, wonderful forum. And uh, we have to really continue to, to fight the good fight, the women's struggle, local political power, local economic power, uh, you know, environmental power. So, I mean, this is really where we have to go with this. And Haiti is, is no exception. Yes, Paul Nampi, thank you so much. Paul is with the Family Action Network Movement. He's a lead organizer. Patrice Lawrence, executive director of Undocu Black. I'm reading the comments in the chat. Stellar discussion, great presentation. People really appreciate hearing your perspective, uh, your analysis. And what I'm hearing is that there is outrage, but not enough. You know, there needs to be a lot more pressure on the Biden administration. So before we go into our action portion in which we will apply some of that pressure, I ask everybody, you should be unmuted to thank our guests, Paul Nampi and Patrice Lawrence for joining us on Code Pin Congress tonight. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Voices from Code Pin Congress. Do join us on Code Pin Congress the first and third Tuesday of the month. Sign up at codeping.org backslash Congress. As we witness more and more climate refugees, we must confront the role of the Pentagon in worsening this crisis. Our next guest, Nancy Mancius, campaign organizer with Code Pink, heads to Glasgow, Scotland with a Code Pink climate militarism delegation. Code Pink will join 50 to 100,000 protesters, among them Veterans for Peace, outside the November UN Climate Conference known as the COP26, the 26th conference of the parties. Here's Nancy. So we are asking COP26 to set strict greenhouse gas emission limits that make no exception for militarism, including transparent reporting, uh, independent verification, um, not relying on these offset emissions, greenhouse gas emissions from, a country, from countries overseas, military bases must be fully reported um, and charged to that country not the country where the base is located. Oh, that's true, right? Because we have about 800 bases in 70 countries. Why should Guam or, you know, a, a, an island in the South China Sea be right. forced to pay for our empire? Yeah, I mean, if you think of Jeju Island also, why should they be responsible for paying for it um, as well? And now I have to tell you, Marcy, it's up to over 900 bases across the world. Um, so just in, in knowing that in Glasgow, we are holding an International Day of Action on Climate and Militarism on November 4th. Uh, we'll have a Code Pink presence at the Youth Strike March on November 5th. 
uh, we'll also have a peace block in the larger day of action on climate um, on November 6th. Uh, we are also participating in the counter summit, the people summit with a panel discussion that will discuss the size of the military carbon emissions, the role of the military sector in protecting the extraction economy um, and how they capitalize on the climate crisis. And I will be there to talk about BlackRock as being the largest financier of climate destruction and uh, weapons of war, including nuclear weapons. I don't think people really know that. So I'm glad that you're gonna be out there with that message and build awareness. Nancy, when is this People Summit? How, how can people? Uh, yeah, hmm. yeah, definitely. So the People Summit, I think you can just go to cop26coalition.org and that's taking place uh, November 7th through the 10th. And it is activists, NGOs, civil society coming together, those who don't quite uh, qualify to go into the larger official um, COP26 climate talks. So um, this is gonna be exciting. Very exciting. And it's such important work, you know, in reading back at, uh, at our history with these climate conferences, it's, it's clear that it's the Pentagon, it's the United States government that's applying the most pressure, right, to keep out any kind of mandates that uh, the military reported greenhouse gas emissions. Now, I am working, as you probably know, with Veterans for Peace, and we're looking forward to Representative Barbara Lee introducing a resolution in the House that would call for reporting and reducing greenhouse gas emissions. And we ask environmental organizations to come on board, and anybody who's interested, who's a leader in an environmental organization, please do email me, Marcy, M-A-R-C-Y at codepink.org. I also wanna mention that, you know, I was just reading that the Defense Department is aware that climate, that climate, the climate crisis is upon us, right? So what is, the, what is their answer? Their answer is in part to create super soldiers that can withstand extreme weather. They also wanna cut down the emissions in the supply chain, but nowhere am I reading that they want to draw down on these 900 bases, as you point out. It's like they, they completely missed the point, right? Absolutely. Instead of being proactive and fighting climate change, they're actually preparing um, in other ways how to live with climate change being the largest emitter of greenhouse gases. That's right. We want to remind everybody the Pentagon is the largest institutional consumer of oil. So to talk about climate, thwarting a climate crisis or catastrophe without talking about reducing our military presence, dismantling the US empire peacefully, of course, uh, is to really sidestep one of the key drivers of the climate crisis. So Nancy, uh, what can people do if they wanna join you, uh, if they wanna go to Scotland with you, organize a rally at home, tell mm -hmm. Yeah, if people want to get involved, um, what they can do is they can hold a solidarity action on November 4th, um, the Global Day of Action on Climate and Militarism, in their own community. They can go to our website, uh, codepink.org slash COP26. Uh, if they are going to join us in uh, Glasgow, Scotland, um, they can also go to that same webpage and find out where we're at. Um, if they are just making a decision now, I um, would encourage them to find accommodations immediately. Um, places are filling up. Uh, there's also the city just right across um, called Edinburgh, where also people are looking for places to stay. 
Wonderful. Well, thank you so much, Nancy, for being there, for going to Glasgow, for raising our consciousness about militarism and climate, and for organizing a delegation to be in the street with the 100,000 protesters in Glasgow. Good luck, and we'll be following you. Thank you. On to Glasgow with Code Pink. I'm Marcy Winograd, and I want to thank our guests today, Nancy Mancius, campaign organizer with Code Pink, along with Patrice Lawrence of Undocu Black and Paul Nampy of the Family Action Network Movement. Please do join our campaigns at CodePink.org and sign up for Code Pink Congress. You've been listening to Code Pink Radio on WBAI 99.5 FM in New York City and WPFW 89.3 FM in Washington, D.C. Stay safe and work for peace and climate justice. You think they're foes, they're in business together Danny Bush knows the Carlisle Group Since years before, been raking in billions And itching for more It's blood for oil, we know there's a link They say Code War, we say Code Pink It's blood for oil, we know there's a link They say Code War, we say Code Pink Code Pink for freedom Code Pink for peace Code Pink to hunger Code Pink! And they say Code Pink! And they say Code Pink! And they say Code Pink!